Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Let's go ahead and pray as we open Matthew chapter 19. Father, we thank you today for your word. I'm grateful for all my friends and family that could join us on this live stream. I pray for your blessing, God. We ask that you would open your word to us, that we could know you better, we could walk with you in a way that is based on truth. Our opinions in the matter, they're, they're not what's important. What's important is how, what you say, how you made us, how you designed us, how you call us to live. We want to follow you in everything that we say and do. So we pray that your word today would instruct us, that you would give us a further equipping and what we need to follow out your instructions, to please you, to glorify you. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us your word. May you use it today for your glory in our lives. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Today, as we look at Matthew 19, we're looking at some controversial things. And so this might be one of those episodes that other people want to watch and hear because of the controversy that follows the issue of divorce and remarriage. And so I hope to clarify some things or as much as I can, but let's go ahead and open the Bible as we are in Matthew chapter 19. And as I already told you, we're only going to be looking at Matthew chapter 19, verse 1, and we'll go all the way to verse 12. And that's where we're going to be studying today. So let's just start and stop. Here's Matthew chapter 19 and verse 1. Here's what it says. When Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee and he came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan and large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Now this language that it says here, it says that he departed from Galilee, came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan or the other side of the Jordan. Some would refer to this area as Perea. They believe, scholars believe that Jesus went to that region um, and stayed there for a few months. And it was from there that he launched out towards Jerusalem, which we know would lead up to the Passion Week. So he's here for a few months. People are coming, large crowds. Jesus is healing them. Certainly the Pharisees and other religious leaders are going to continue to do what they've always done, which is question Jesus. And that's exactly what happens here. So verse 3, it says, Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Now, I want you to remember this. This is the context for what Jesus is about to say. It's always important. We want to make sure that we understand that what Jesus says, and whenever we talk about this, whenever we recite these verses, the answer that Jesus gives, we have to do so in the context for which Jesus is asked, because he may not be answering everything that there is pertaining to marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And that's sometimes we get into trouble with the, this issue in particular because we don't actually teach this in context. And I've heard it many, many times. I used to be confused by these verses. But the question is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Now, we have to understand, in Jewish thought and theology, there were two camps. There were two different schools of thought based on two different rabbis. Now, the first, and this was the less dominant view, they believed that the only reason for a man to divorce his wife 
was because of unfaithfulness. That was where a woman would break the covenant with her husband and have sex with another man, so adultery. If a woman committed adultery, then a man had the right to divorce her, to write her a certificate of divorce based out of Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 1. The other school of thought was that a man could divorce his wife for any reason at all, and it was based on an interpretation of Deuteronomy 24 and 1. In Deuteronomy 24 and verse 1, it says that if a man found anything displeasing with his wife, something indecent in her would be the quotation depending on your translation. If he was displeased with his wife and he found something indecent with her, he could write her a certificate of divorce. Now this is what Deuteronomy 24.1 says. The interpretation with two schools of thought. One said it was only unfaithfulness. That's what that interpretation, the interpretation of that passage meant. The other said it could be anything. And by the way, the dominant view was it could be anything. And so there are lots of ancient stories where men would see their, or men would have their wives burn the bread or things like this, and they would find that displeasing and indecent, and they would write a certificate of divorce. Well, don't you know that they would also end up marrying somebody that was a little bit younger and a little bit prettier because that's the lust of man. Now, in this culture, we have to acknowledge that women, in a, in a sense kind of had this property nature. It was not essential equality, which by the way is Jesus's answer to this whole conundrum. And we're going to talk about that the remainder of the time. But we just have to acknowledge that this is an ancient culture and the way that men and women were viewed is not in keeping with what I believe is from the very beginning of how God created men and women to be equal and have essential equality and what the vision for marriage was all about. And don't you love how Jesus just answers this question and he brings it out of the controversy and right back into what the whole purpose of marriage is all about. The question, is it lawful? So who are you going to side with, Jesus? Are you going to side with this camp or school of thought? Or are you going to, are you going to side with this one? Now again, the dominant view, you can divorce your wife for any reason. By the way, in Deuteronomy 24.1, which we're going to learn the reason that the certificate of divorce was given or allowed Moses instructed a man to do that is to protect the woman because the woman didn't have the kind of rights that a man did. And so if she was accused, she could be killed based on the law. She could be killed. She may have to stay in her father's house the rest of her life and never be married again. A certificate of divorce would release the woman protecting her. She could keep the dowry that her father gave to her husband because a man, a, a father could not give his daughter inheritance. So they gave what was called a dowry. A man would give, or a father would give to a, a man who was going to marry his daughter a dowry. Now we know that a man would give that to the father. So a man would go and ask a woman's father for the hand in marriage. And it was really the decision of the dad. Now, depending on how he led his family, maybe he invited his wife into that decision or his daughter. Usually not, but let's just say it did happen sometimes. But that man would give the father, he would give a, a pledge. He would give a, basically a sum of money. Maybe it was a goat or something like that. But the father would give three times that. And it was considered you know, a way in which, kind of a, a loophole, that a father could give his daughter an inheritance. So the the 
future husband had to hold on to whatever that was. If it was goats or cattle or money or whatever it was, he had to hold on to that because he was a steward of that wink, wink inheritance. And, and now when a certificate of divorce was written, that sum of money or whatever the livestock was that was originally given by the father on behalf of the daughter, that man now through the certificate of divorce also had to give that back to her. So she, in that certificate of divorce, would be free and she would be able to retain whatever that inheritance was. Again, it wasn't called inheritance, but that's, everybody kind of knew it was another way of doing that very same thing. And so anyways, it's really important. Jesus sides with the less dominant view, but his answer is in keeping with Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And so here we read his answer. He answered and said, verse 4, have you not read that he who created them male, female, from the beginning, made them male, female, and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Jesus's answer was not necessarily in keeping with their question. They just wanted a cut and dry answer, and Jesus was not going to give them what they wanted because their conundrum, their debate, their issue had more to do with what they wanted at the end of all of that. They wanted just this quick answer because in their minds they had debated all the theological components, but they really hadn't. And so Jesus brings it right back to the purpose of marriage. You guys are dealing with an issue based on Deuteronomy 24, but what's marriage all about? Well, let's go back to the beginning. One woman and one man, this is what marriage is. It's one man and one woman coming together, and the biblical vision for marriage is oneness, right? That's why we would protect the idea that it could ever it could it could ever be a man and a man or a woman and a woman. God did not create men and women for such a thing. He created male and female that the two could come together in loving union, oneness. This vision of harmony and togetherness and oneness. Marriage is not like a, a partnership. I hate it when people talk about it like that. It's like an acquisition, you know, like a business transaction. It's like two lives kind of coexisting together. Marriage is not a partnership. Marriage is a merger. It's where two lives come together, join together in oneness and harmony. It is not a man dominating a woman. It is essential equality. They were both made in the image of God. They both have different skills and gifts and abilities, and they come together and they yield themselves to each other under God, and God puts something in men. God puts something in women, and as they both yield to God together, this beautiful thing called marriage can emerge. Now, of course, the flourishing was meant for legacy, and so children come from that union, but not all people can have children. And so we know that marriage is more than just having legacy and just having children. Marriage reflects the nature of God. Why? God in himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in his oneness. There is unity and there is harmony and there is peace and there is flourishing. And so in our union, we are uniting ourselves. We're becoming one and we see that unity and we see that togetherness and we see that harmony and we see that flourishing. And our love, the two, the love that they have for each other, it reflects God. It reflects family. It is God's design. That's why we have to protect the 
concept and the design of marriage, not because it's what we want, it's what God designed. This is not my idea. This is not what I want it to be. When I teach on marriage and when I read scripture, it has nothing to do with what I say or with what I want. God made men and women in his image according to his likeness. And, and a man would leave his father and mother and be joined to be one with his wife. That's the biblical vision of marriage, oneness, togetherness. There is no other biblical vision for marriage. There are aspects of what that can mean that help us to further define the practicality of working out marriage and what that looks like. But the reality is, is any lesser vision than oneness is not the biblical vision of marriage. And Jesus wants to restore in their thinking what marriage is all about. They're trying to figure out what, can, how can we get out? Jesus is trying to help them how they can stay in. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a totally different perspective, right? This is not what they were asking, but it's what they needed. And don't you love how Jesus just re put, presses the reset button? Hey guys, you're asking the question seven miles down the road. You need to go back to the beginning of your journey and ask the question, why did we even start this journey? Where are we going anyways? You're asking the question seven, ten miles down in the journey and you've forgotten why you started this journey to begin with. Well, let me remind you, Genesis chapter two is very, very clear. And Jesus wanted to say that to them because that really is what it's all about. He not, he's not going to just merely answer their question. He's going to remind them of purpose because guess what? They forgot. They forgot what the purpose of marriage was. And now they're just trying to negotiate, is this okay or is it not okay? Just give me the answer. So Jesus does side with the less dominant view that the the only way out of marriage or the what I would consider the, the biblical out, which is the breaking of a covenant, which we'll mention in a moment, is unfaithfulness. So this is what happens, right? Jesus says this to them, and they say back to Jesus, why then did Moses command her a certificate of divorce and send her away? So Jesus, if you're saying that the biblical vision of marriage is oneness, and that let nobody break apart what God has joined together. Like, let's not even think about that. Let's not even, let's not even have those debates and conversations. Let's go back to oneness. Jesus is, he's, he's leading a revolution, a movement back to oneness. And they're like, well, why would Moses then give this concession? And Jesus answers that question. He says, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. All right. Now here's the deal. This is where you and I need to remember why Deuteronomy was written because our context is not the same. Remember the Israelites are getting ready to go into the promised land. Moses is not going with them. Moses gave them the 10 commandments. This is like perpetual forever law, right? From God inscribed on stone by the finger of God God began to give many, many other laws, right? We see those in Leviticus, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, though, is broken up into different types of laws. Some of these are social customs. Some of these laws were civil laws. These were not the same type of laws that we see written in the Ten Commandments or what further expands on the Ten Commandments. And I think a lot of people don't understand this. There are universal prohibitions that, that are forever, and people argue over this, in particular when it comes to homosexuality. There are laws in Leviticus that we're reminded of in Deuteronomy, and these laws are universal prohibitions. 
they're based on sexuality, but they really go back to God's design of male and female and the purpose of sexuality found in the marriage covenant. And so, yes, those are universal prohibitions. They were not just for those people at that time. They were based on the design of men and women according to God's creation and his order of things. However, there are civil laws in Deuteronomy, and they're not hard to discover. Those civil laws were contextual. Those civil laws were to, uh, they understood that culture, and they were going in and establishing a new society in the promised land. And so Moses was giving them this type of civil law, basically, where they would have a judge that was set up, and Israel did set up judges in the future, and they did set up a sort of a civil law, so to speak. They had a way of dealing with things, but that's what was being given to them multiple times in Deuteronomy, and this is one of those times. So when Jesus resets them back to the purpose of marriage, he also helps them understand what Deuteronomy 24 was all about. The reason that Moses gave you the ability to divorce your wives was to protect the women because the women did not have the same type of rights as we read about clearly here. So God's heart to protect women from the lust of man was to give this concession through Moses. Moses gave that concession that they could put put away their wives and give them a certificate of divorce. That certificate allowed them to go back to their father's house without shame and they could remarry. So the men could do whatever they wanted to do. And that's exactly what they did. And so this was actually for the women. This was what God did for them because he knew the lust of man. And so Moses did make that concession. We believe that it's part of the civil law. Here's what we also read. He says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality or unfaithfulness or adultery, sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. Now, why would Jesus say that? Jesus was saying that because with the two schools of thought, one school of thought was there was only one reason to divorce your wife, and that was if she broke the covenant through unfaithfulness. That's adultery. The other school of thought was if she burned the bread, or if I didn't like her, or if I found someone younger and prettier, they wouldn't say that, but you know, that's what they were thinking then they could divorce, all right? So here's the reality. Jesus is saying, siding with those that believe it's unfaithfulness, but he's also helping them understand why that's so powerful and why that's so important because oneness and covenant was what God intended for the two to become one. Many men would divorce their wife so that they could marry another woman. And Jesus is saying, when you do that, when you are displeased with your wife, for whatever reason, you write them a certificate of divorce, they have not cheated on you, and you in your own lust have decided to set your eyes on another, and you want to go out and marry her, when you, when you divorce this one and you marry that one, it's still adultery. Why is that important? I've heard this verse misused so many times in current context. What he was saying was that all of you that are doing that, it's still adultery because they wanted to protect their law-abiding, you know, uh, the perspective, their reputation. Hey, we are we are actually abiding by the law. Deuteronomy twenty-four one says, "I'm divorcing her and I'm remarrying her." And to them, it was not adultery. And Jesus says to all of them, "What you're doing is still adultery and it's still sin." And so we, meet, we cannot misunderstand that. Jesus was telling those that were breaking the, the spirit of the law, the spirit of the law, the, the, the point 
of the law. He was telling all of them, you're still wrong. You're still sinful. You're still doing not what the law was given for. You're doing it based out of your lust. He was calling them out. Now, again, if we're going to use these verses in context for today, we had better understand what they meant. You cannot understand what the Bible means unless you understand what the Bible meant. We cannot apply it to our lives today if we do not know what it meant for those to whom it was written to originally. To extrapolate principles from Scripture in 2020, we've got to get the point of why it was written for those thousands of years ago. And I think we so miss the understanding of this. The disciples say in verse 10, if um, they said to him, if the relationship to the man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. Well, you know what? Maybe for the first time, the disciples had the best interpretation of Deuteronomy 24.1 and Genesis 2.24. Maybe finally the disciples get it. Marriage is serious. Marriage is a covenant. Marriage is something that reflects the nature of God. It reflects love. It reflects flourishing. It's about oneness. It's about essential equality. Maybe the disciples got it for the first time and they go, who should be married? And Jesus answers them, not all men can accept this statement but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way for their mother's womb. And he's not advocating um, the position of a eunuch. Some were eunuchs born that way from their mother's womb. Others were made eunuchs by men. That would be a mutilation and a violation to those men. And also some are eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. This was not physically, but this was spiritually. And he says, he who is able to keep this, let him accept it. And so Jesus is absolutely saying marriage is serious. Marriage is important. Marriage is God's design. And we cannot distort it. We cannot change it. We cannot use it or abuse it. We must live out God's design for marriage in order for it to be the truest example of why it was originally given to us to begin with. We need to have a restored vision of biblical marriage, which is oneness togetherness, harmony, peace, flourishing, and for many, legacy. That's what we want. That's what we desire. No, and here's, here's what I want to say Okay, today. Let's just talk about this for a second. Is, does this apply to us today? Yes, in some ways it absolutely does. Does some all of this apply to us today? No, not all of it really applies. How, what do I mean by that? We're not found in the same conundrum, right? So this is, we are talking about Jewish people going into the promised land. They were, mis, they were abusing and misusing marriage. They were divorcing one woman and marrying another. Some would even accuse that woman because if a woman was accused, she could get stoned or she would live in her father's house in shame, like in just dust and ashes, you know, for the rest of her life. And so because of the abuse and the lust of men, many women were being misused used and abused. And so we see that there was a concession for that. There was part of the civil law to protect women in that respect. Today, listen, maybe it's not the same thing, but we go through all kinds of issues. And Paul deals with some of the issues for, the per for divorce and what do believers do when they have an unbelieving spouse. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I won't have time to get into that today, but I've taught on this before. And it's really important for us to understand 
that there are irreconcilable differences, that this context does not satisfy every issue for which men and women will have these irreconcilable differences. I've walked many people into marriage. I've walked many people through divorce. I've walked many people into remarriage. And this is so vital to understand these issues. What is covenant? What is the purpose of marriage? What is allowable for divorce? Because really, that's what people want to know. And is it okay to remarry? Remarry. Jesus is addressing remarriage to those who divorce and want just for the purpose of remarrying. That's what he's calling adultery. Anybody that teaches that a person that divorces a spouse and gets remarried eventually is committing perpetual adultery does not understand the Bible. Do not listen to people like that. I have heard this teaching in the body of Christ for years where people would say, you can never divorce and if you do and you remarry someone, you will go to hell because that is perpetual adultery according to this scripture. First of all, that is absolutely mutilating the Bible. It is not understanding the context of this scripture. It is not understanding the context of Deuteronomy 24.1. And so I just think people that teach that are just absolutely full of nonsense. Listen, nobody gets married and wants to divorce. I mean, the, if there, if that were even the case, I, I don't know anybody that's ever done that. If they are, okay, whatever exception. But people don't want to get divorced. People that get divorced are crushed. People that get divorced are disillusioned. It, they didn't want that to happen. It happened. And so here we have so many people in the body of Christ. I mean, it's like 40, 50% of people have gone through a divorce. We're talking about half of the people that call themselves Christians have gone through this and many of them have shame over their heads and they should not have shame over their heads. Listen, divorce is not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It is not the unpardonable sin. If you have gone through a divorce, whether you did it the right way or the wrong way, my advice to you is just follow Jesus. Make it right. If, if, if you did it for a wrong reason, make it right with God. Repent. Ask him to forgive you. If it was something that happened to you, we are sorry that you walked through that. We, pr we pray that God will continue to restore your heart because truly, you, if you've been abused, if you've been damaged, if you've been cast out, if you've been put down, listen, it's not ours to judge you. You get to walk with the Lord and work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to shame anybody. I have seen people walk through a divorce situation where they divorce somebody and I believe it was not for with biblical grounds. And in those cases, I walk with them just like I would in anybody else's sin. And I'm not going to concede to that. I'm going to walk to, with them in the word and say, look, you, di you divorced your spouse and it was not based on biblical grounds. So I'm going to walk with them in that way. And, and, and I could go on about church discipline. But there are people who have received the other end of that and they don't deserve to be shamed. They do not deserve to be cast off or put down or trodden over or any of that. We need to realize that God does still allow people to remarry. That is not the context for this verse. I could walk you through 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I could walk you through other passages. And by the way, I've walked plenty of people through scenarios where they weren't living for Christ anyways. I mean, he's speaking to Pharisees. He's speaking to uh, those of Israel who would follow the law, they understood the moral compass. First Corinthians chapter 7 is speaking to Christians. 
people that are actually following Jesus, those that are reading the letters of Paul and they want to follow Jesus. There's so many people that said they were Christians. They ended up in a divorce. They weren't really following Jesus and their life got turned around. They ended up with somebody else and it became something that really blessed them, their children and everyone else. Yes, it's not a perfect scenario, but here's the deal is that God does redeem our lives. If we didn't do it right, God can turn it around. He can redeem it. It is not the unpardonable sin. If you're in a place of life right now where you're contemplating divorce, you have to walk through the word and say, why am I contemplating divorce? You know, is there biblical grounds? Is this truly where the Holy Spirit is leading me? Does godly and biblical counsel agree with what I'm walking through as grounds for biblical divorce? We've got to walk through those scenarios with community instead of just shame and difficulty. If you're going through abuse, that's a whole other category where I've walked plenty of people into marital separation and all kinds of other things where that comes up. But I simply just want to say this. I think it's time that the body of Christ takes the label of shame off of people that have gone through a divorce so that they can really rise back up. If you didn't handle it the right way, you can repent and turn around. If you did go through abuse or misuse or some type of situation, God's not done with you yet. He wants to use you. Divorce was not the unpardonable sin. We need to remember this. There are lots of scriptures that show all kinds of sins and all of us have gone through all kinds of sins. We've not done things the right way. If you've got children that have gone through a divorce, you can still go to your children. You can still walk them through what you went through, whether you were on the receiving end of that or you were the one that did it in a way that you, that you feel regret over and guilt about and conviction over. You can still talk that out with your kids. Show them a better way. Talk to them about it. Don't conceal it. Don't hide it. Share it with them. We want to share the faults of our past so that our children can have that brighter future. Absolutely. No matter what the sin was, no matter what the issue was, but not every divorce is a sin. And people that go through a divorce, that's not, why they, that's not why they said I do to begin with. And so my heart goes out to you. If you've been through it, we love you. You know, I'm not, try, I'm not trying to patronize you. I'm not trying to make light of that. I'm not trying to shame you in any way. I just believe that you didn't say I do to begin with so that you could walk through a divorce. It's hard enough as it is. And so we want to walk together and bring out that biblical restoration so that each one of us can continue to be who God created us to be, do what God created us to do, bring him glory in the midst of all that. But that doesn't give us a license to just, again, they wanted to divorce for any reason whatsoever. And if that's our disposition, the warning is this, we've forgotten what marriage is all about. Here's what the beauty of marriage is. One man and one woman can come together in oneness and they can flourish together and reveal the love and the nature of God. They can leave a legacy, many, not all, they can leave a legacy where their children can rise up and say that they are blessed. We have godly seed and that begins to permeate society where society has a reflection of what family is supposed to look like. Don't we need that restored in this day and age? You know, here's the deal. We're fighting so many issues, whether it's legislation, whether it's, um, you know, in society, whether it's the exam the bad examples, the ungodly, unbiblical examples that we have. You know, one of the greatest things that we can do, and I'm not, we should vote, we should do all that stuff, but we should also make sure that our household is in order. We should make sure that our example is one that's worth following. We should make sure that people see in our marriages and in our homes and in our parenting something that is an example of godliness so that people would want what we have. It's not just about voting. It's also about what they can see in us. 
if we're constantly against what is wrong, are we spending more energy on what is right? It concerns me. It concerns me all the time that people have this agenda that we just want to push back on all the wrong. Well, if we push back on all the wrong, we better have a whole lot of right that people can see in our lives, not just words. These, got to, these words have to be in our lives. And so one of my greatest concerns is that the people of God are so known for what they're against, but they're not as known for the way that, the way that we ought to live life. People ought to see our marriages and go, dang, that's awesome. They ought to see our parenting and want to learn from us. And we've got to insert ourselves into the lives of other people in society. And this is so vital and important. I think that we've just got to come back to a place where, yes, we vote and we push back on darkness, but also people have to see a thriving in our own lives as we obey God's commands. And I believe that they will. One of the greatest evangelistic tools is that people see the love in us. Jesus prayed this in John chapter 17, he prayed that his future disciples would be one, even as he and the Father are one. He said, Father, I pray that they, the future disciples, would be one, even as you and I are one, so that the world might know that you sent me. What about that being applied in marriage? Father, I pray that, that marriages, that they would be one, even as you and I are one, like there's this harmony and peace and love and flourishing that is seen between the Father and the Son, and that it's seen also in godly marriages that follow Jesus. People see that, and they know that the Father sent Jesus, right? They see that in families. They see that in homes. They see that in the church. What a beautiful picture, and really true evangelism where people see something so different drastically different, so powerful, so potent in us. They want it. They want it. Talk about the attractional model of church. I'll tell you what, this, is, this, this passage of scripture has always plagued me in the sense that I used to not really understand what this verse meant. I didn't understand the context. I didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. I just, I just superimposed an ancient culture onto 2020 or maybe 2015 or whatever it was. When I started to dive into it, I found a book that I read a lot of different books, but this is a book called Divorce and Remarriage in the Bible. And it's written by David Instone Brewer. And if you're struggling with this topic, it's a thick book, but it's a good read. We sell it in our bookstore at Northwest Church. I read that book and it really helped me to understand covenant it helped me to understand God's design. And I knew so, obviously some of this, but it helped to frame up um, divorce and remarriage, that we've treated it like this um, unpardonable sin. And yes, we don't want to divorce. God hates divorce. And so do we. Look what it does. Look what it does to families. Look what it does to children. Look what it does to people. If anybody wants that, you know, there's something wrong with that. But I haven't found people that do. What I have found is brokenness. What I have found is betrayal. And when you walk through these types of difficulties, people need to make sure that those that they're getting godly counsel from actually know the context of the Bible. And I have found so many Christians not understand what the Bible really means, and they just espouse what it says without understanding on what it means. I really encourage all of us, if we're ever going to give godly counsel to other people, friends, those that are walking through difficulties, let's make sure we give them godly counsel. Let's make sure we know the context and speak to them honestly, openly, and contend for what God has. I have walked people through divorce and given concession to that. It took me a long time to get there, but I realized that there were irreconcilable differences. 
But I've seen people walk that out in such a godly way. And it's hard to even say that because, again, there's so much shame over this issue based on misinterpretation. But the reality was is it crushed those individuals. They didn't want that. That wasn't where they, they got to that period. They got to that over a long period of time. But they needed to know that, that God wasn't shaming them, that they had to walk through a situation that they never planned for, didn't desire, didn't want. And I've shared this. I've taught on this before. And I've had people say, you're compromising the word of God. And I'm saying, you don't understand the word of God. God, God created marriage so that two would be able to flourish together and walk together and be agreed. And there are people who walk this out and it just doesn't work that way, whether it's unfaithfulness or it's abuse or whatever those situations are. But yeah, the other side of it is that people have misused verses in the Bible, just like we see with the Pharisees. A large school of thought was, I can divorce for any reason. No, you can't. I mean, you can do that, but it's not godly and it's not biblical and it won't end well. And that really is the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is when we do what we want to do in our flesh and in our lust. Guess what? We hurt ourselves. We hurt our kids. We hurt society because they don't have a godly example. It wasn't just about God creating the standard where he could slap us every time we cross the line. He taught us the design of what he created us for, how it works, and how to follow him. When we follow him, we see biblical results. When we don't, we will reap the consequences. And so God in his father heart does not want us to fall into those types of situations. And we ought to treat each other the same way. What I feel like we've got to stop doing is just using the Bible to bash each other of who's in and who's out, who's more godly and who's less godly. We have to have more of a, a broken heart for people that are walking through brokenness. And if we truly understood that we ourselves have had lots of sin and still probably do have sin in our lives, if we were in touch with our humanity, understanding the grace of God, we would just we would have a lot more grace for people. And that doesn't mean we would compromise the word of God. It just means that we would have more of a contending in our hearts for people, more of a brokenness. And what I'm saying is let's get back to the spirit of the law. Let's inspire people to godly marriages. Let's give people an example and not just a standard. Here's the standard. Don't break the law. Don't break the line. This is what it is. And shame people. I, I'm telling you, I've done remarriages where family members wouldn't come. You know why? And this is, these are people that did it the right way. They wouldn't because they read Matthew chapter 19 and through their own interpretation, superimposing their own culture without understanding Deuteronomy 24, Genesis 2, 24, God's father heart, the purpose and spirit of the law that I'm not going to attend that as you're just, you're just going to commit perpetual adultery. It's shame. It's shame. It's just horrible that, that anybody would do that in the Christian community. When we all know that God, you know, God walks people through redemption. It's not the impardonable sin. And what I would encourage everyone to do is not, not hear, not listen to me. Grab a book like this, read both sides. That's what I did before I ever could do remarriages as an officiant. I had to make sure that I knew what the Bible said. And when I dug deep, I started to understand the spirit of the law. I started to understand God's father heart. I started to understand the concession of Deuteronomy 24.1. I started to understand God's broken heart over divorce. I started to see that people were crushed even when they went through it. I started to help people get redeemed even though they've made those mistakes. And I started to break the power of shame over people's lives that think that they're going to live the rest of their life hiding from God because they've gone through a divorce. Not me and not us. I'm not going to allow that. Not around me. 
It's not the unpardonable sin. We can help people get redeemed. We can help people flourish in their marriage. We can help people understand the Bible. We can help people understand the spirit of the law. And we can show the world that godly marriage is a picture of what God can do in our society. Instead of just saying what we're against, we can show what God does in the way that we live and loving our spouses. Now, that's lesson one. I've got about 50 more lessons on marriage because we really didn't talk about how to live a godly marriage, which is really, really important. My wife is watching this. Bridget, I love you. We're married. We have a great marriage. That's what my wife would say. That's at least what I'm prophesying. Amen. <laughs> Anyways, she's watching that probably with our kids right now. Love you guys. Anyways, let's go ahead and pray into this. And here's what I want to do. I want to break shame over anybody that would watch this. Anybody that would watch this. There's a lot more questions that I need to answer. Read 1 Corinthians 7. Read some books on this. There's a lot more passages we could go over. You might have some questions. Feel free to email me. But this is not a new topic. This is not a new teaching. I just wanted to give what I could, and I was supposed to do it in 30 minutes, but I did it in 40. So let's pray and break the shame that's over people that they could get redeemed and really just come to a place where God can use them again in a mighty way. That's what we desire, is that we walk out this life for the glory of God, no matter where we are or where we've been. God can take us where we are and bring us to where he wants us to be. Amen? So pray with me as we close the daily word. Father, we do thank you today for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that no matter what we've gone through, where we've been, how bad it's been, or, or even for those that lost a spouse and went through remarriage, Lord, I just pray that you would break shame over our lives and allow us to just glorify you in whatever context that we're in. We thank you, Lord, that you just use us where we're at. And uh, God, many of us are just trying to follow your word. We just want to do what's right, and I, I know you honor that. But Lord, we want to make sure that we're reading your word properly and that we're following it carefully. And I pray, God, that we would understand it contextually. Help us to know you. Help us to know your word. Help us to understand the spirit of the law and not just creating standards and burdens for people where we think that you're just, you're just there to cut them off. And that's how we do it as well. I also pray for any marriages that are struggling right now where people are, are thinking about divorce and maybe unnecessarily. I just pray that you would break the power of that unnecessary divorce, that voice that's in their head. Lord, give us a vision to flourish. Give us a vision to love sacrificially. Give us a vision to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Give us a vision to love one another just as Christ loved the church. God, I pray that you would bring us together. Make us an example in this world that we don't only push back against the evil, but Lord, goodness that overcomes evil is becoming that godly picture of what you intended from the beginning. Father, help us to lead spirit-filled lives that look like what you said in your word, that marriages that flourish and really do speak of what oneness truly means. And I pray, God, today for all of my friends and everybody watching this, I pray that anybody that would watch this that's walking through shame of their past, Lord, break the power of shame. Cause them to stand to their feet, see you, and rise up in the place of life that they're in and come to you in whatever way and that you want them to. And I pray also for those that, uh, Lord, just need a fresh touch in their marriage. Lord, would you bless us and strengthen us? Help us, Lord, to turn our hearts to you and to our spouse and to love each other well. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We thank you for what you will do. We love you and we desire to do it your way for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. 
While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.